My name is Jay Lasseter, and I am perhaps the most notorious ex-drug addict in all of New Jersey. Oh my God, he's shooting heroin. It's okay. I can use one time. It'll make me feel better. All we know is that he used and he died instantly. Uncut, the truth about the crisis, brought to you by NJ1015.com and made possible by Carrier Clinic. Carter Stone was a Jersey boy, and when he died of a heroin overdose at the age of 32, his grieving family was predictably distraught, like any other family in their position would be. But what's different about this family? It's Carter's obituary. It held nothing back. A beautiful life cut short way too soon, his obituary read. Carter Stone passed away on September 26th from a drug overdose. He was 32 years old. Carter's obituary described a familiar story by now. He started out with pills. He went to using heroin, and then he started shooting heroin. He ended up in rehab. His first stint, two weeks, it didn't stay. He wasn't there long enough. He went back to rehab again, this time for three months, in a much more supportive environment. and Things seemed to be going quite well, which only adds a sense of bewilderment to this tragedy. My NJ1015 colleague, Dino Flamia, reported on Carter Stone's passing and spoke with Carter's mother, Wendy Galbraith, just a week after laying her son to rest. Their deeply personal conversation, that's the focus of this week's pod. And I'll warn you, you might want to grab a tissue or two for this one. Okay, Wendy Galbraith. I'm in Manchester, Vermont. Oh, so your son lived in New Jersey? Yes. I'm originally from New Jersey. I grew up in New Jersey, and I moved to Vermont 15 years ago. But my son, both my sons live in New Jersey. All right. Where did where did Carter live in New Jersey? The current time, he was in Ventnor City, down south of Atlantic City. He was in a sober living house there. Uh, he had just completed his recovery of three months, and then he was living just up the street from the sober house in his own apartment. He had just gotten his own apartment that he was sharing with another recovering addict. So I'm hoping, first off, if if you're fine with it, just talking about Carter, the type of kid slash man he was. He's 32. I'm 32, so I still consider myself a kid. And then where did something go wrong? I'm hoping to get those details from you. I see it in the obituary, but I I like to hear it from you as well. Well, he was a very social kid as a, growing up. He had lots and lots of friends, and he he just loved having friends around him and doing things with his friends. So that was his personality, and you know, partying in high school. He was a partier. He was a partier in college. So that's kind of the kind of kid he was. He was not what I would call a studious kid. And he also came from an alcoholic background in his family. Uh-huh. So he had this predisposition, which is one thing that needs people need to pay attention to. Kids that have predisposition to addiction, if they have families that's divorced, if they have any sort of psychological problems, these are all aspects that can trigger addiction later. They've already proven that. So that's something that he had some of those problems in his background. And then being a part of your kid, he, you know, he started using alcohol young. And that's something I was always very concerned about. But, um, he, you know, he really didn't want to deal with that. He could handle it. And then later when he was in his 20s, later in his 20s, actually, I think he was 30 was when he had a car accident and he had a lot of back pain and the doctor prescribed, I'm not sure what he prescribed first, but it was an opiate type of drug. I guess he felt comfortable with that, and but then and it worked for him. But when the prescription ran out, then he 
sought the same kind of drug on the street, and it's very, very expensive. They cost upwards of 30 or more dollars a piece, and he was using a lot of them. I didn't know any of this was going on. And then he started to use heroin. I guess he was snorting heroin, but the problem became that his whole life started to fall apart. He couldn't keep jobs. I was noticing he couldn't keep jobs. He was way in debt and just things that were a mess. And then he started to reach out for help and he had a DUI. And so then we started to pay attention. You know, he was basically a good kid with a great family, sisters and brother who loved him. Tremendous support from all of us all the time. He had millions of friends, good looking guy, athletic, everything to live for, successful, excellent salesman. You know, he sold cars like crazy, he did really well, and I just wouldn't expect it. When did you learn that he was using heroin? I didn't really learn about it until way down the line. I thought it was just opiate, uh, you know, pills, until he had to get out of one apartment and I was helping him financially a lot, which was my enabling, which I learned later was not such a good idea. And then he got thrown out of another apartment and there were drugs dealers chasing him. So then with this, all this was starting to come to the forefront and then I heard conversations about heroin. I thought maybe he was snorting it and I don't think he IV'd it at that point. His life was a total disaster and dangerous. He couldn't go back to work. People were waiting for him. So he came to my house in Vermont to detox. We needed to find him someplace to go. And that was in November. That was the first rehab. This past November? Yeah. First rehab, went through it, came back to Jersey. No, first rehab, two weeks is all they would give him, not even enough to clean the system out. First problem was nowhere to take him to detox. There isn't any place. So that's something that I'm fighting. We need that. Then the second problem was Medicaid only covers two weeks, which was ridiculous. Come home, use the same day. Go right back to drugs right away. And I didn't know he was doing that. He was hanging out at my house. He seemed happy, seemed clean, but I found out later that he had started using it again right away. And I didn't find that out until after he was failing at another job and no money. And at that point, it had gone to IV heroin because it's so much cheaper. So that's a big problem. And that's when I started to pay attention, get involved, and take care of myself and educate myself because up to then, I really had no idea what was going on. I didn't understand. Stigma was huge. Nobody talks about it. I didn't want to talk about it. I didn't reach out to anybody until around that time. And then I started learning that fentanyl was something that they were putting in all the heroin and people were dropping dead all over the place. And I'm sure that fentanyl was in the things that he was using at that point. So eventually we get back to New Jersey, I assume? Well, what happened was really going downhill really fast using heroin. I had asked him to leave my house. I couldn't have him here. He was on the street. He was staying with other drug addicts who I thought were clean that he had been in rehab with. He told me a lot of stories that an addict is an expert manipulator and liar, and I was wanting to believe him and still continuing to lend him money. And he was just using and not working anymore. And when I saw him, he was 30 pounds slimmer. There was an arrest. I got a call from the jail, which I should say... You know, a mother of an addict, worst nightmare is every time the phone rings, is it going to be jail or is it going to be the morgue? Uh. And it was the jail this time. And I said, leave him there because at least I knew he was safe off the street. And uh, after a, few, a week or so, I got him out, went right back to using again. I mean, he, he was so skinny and, and looked awful. And it's just, he was not my son anymore. And 
He didn't stay at my house. He stayed with friends, and it got worse and worse and worse. And finally, he came to visit me for a night, and I found needles. And I went, holy, you know, holy S, and oh, my God, he's shooting heroin. And that's when I really found out of that, and I didn't really know it before then. And we rounded him up and talked him into going to a rehab. And at that same time, a friend of mine I had met, I had a son who miraculously found this really good place in New Jersey, and they had a bed. So I was able to get him in there, and that place is in Ventnor City. It's called Surfside Structured Sober Living, and they had a minimum three-month program, three to six months, and a family member was able to finance it, and that's where he went, and he thrived there. How long was he well, there? He was there three months. Wow. I wish he had stayed there longer, because I think they need at least six months program, but he stayed three months, and he had the option of going into a, the next step of a sober house, where there would be some supervision, not as much, and he chose instead to get an apartment just up the street, but still stay in contact with all the sober community that he had established there. And so he had just been in his apartment for about a month and doing fine. He just landed a wonderful job. They made a manager right away. He looked great. He had a tremendous amount of friends. He was happy. And then this was a shock. It must have been a weak moment and he used and he died. The thing is, it's a brain disease. Addiction is a brain disease. And it hijacks your brain, changes the, the way it functions, and it takes at least a year for it to heal. And he may have had a sad moment and his brain said, it's okay. I can use one time. It'll make me feel better. And that's all it takes is once. And when you haven't used in four months, you have no tolerance. And, you know, the minimal amount of heroin will kill you as well as having the fact that it's got fentanyl in it now. And there's no way to tell what you're getting because the stuff is so poisoned with this fentanyl. And all we know is that he used and he died instantly. The suffering around that is unbearable. The young men who were surrounding him in the recovery community had felt that he was their brother and they were all looking out for each other and there was so much love and support. And they're all devastated and they're all affected by this. And I can't even begin to tell you how it affects the family and the friends. It's just a horrific epidemic that is killing an entire generation. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from the sponsor for Heroin Uncut, Carrier Clinic. We'll be right back. New Jersey 101.5's exclusive series Heroin Uncut is made possible in part by Carrier Clinic. Those suffering with mental illness or addiction need care. New Jersey's Carrier Clinic offers compassionate care, redefining behavioral health care with holistic approaches beyond medicine. When it's time to think about behavioral health care, think Carrier. Learn more at CarrierClinic.org. Why did you decide to write the obituary that you did and be so truthful about it? Well, his sister wrote the obituary, but we are both on board with getting the word out there. I got involved with the Set Up organization, which is a national organization that had rallies on August 31st in a march in Washington, D.C. to fight the opioid epidemic, to bring awareness, to try to fight the pharmaceutical companies and get some legislation changed, trying to bring attention to Washington. So I got involved with that because there was no rally in Vermont. So my friends and I started one and it became a big event and we had a huge amount of resources and speakers, etc. And we felt it was really important to talk about it. And it was very hard for us. One of our local television stations approached us along with one of our legislators who wanted to put a bill through and said, will you guys talk? Will you go on camera and tell your story? And he tell you, that was really hard to do. And it was the first step, but we've had so many people come to us afterwards saying, thank you for telling your story. My brother, my sister, my uncle, my father, my everyone, everyone shares that they know somebody. 
And so it's incredibly important to talk about it, not only to bring awareness to the families to pay attention, but so that the addicts also can, can come out and say, I need help without feeling like they're horrible, for the acceptance and love that they need to get it into the schools at an early age to educate people. It's a multifaceted problem. So many different angles try to approach it, but we feel that being able to talk about it is the first step. So we bravely shared our stories and have had nothing but support ever since because everyone else is saying, me too. You were saying you got involved with that Fed Up. That was before your son's passing? Yeah, yeah. I started working on that in July to prep for the August rally. And Carter came to the rally. He listened to the speakers. He was supporting of me. He was so proud of our work in trying to stop this epidemic. He and one of his other friends manned a booth to provide resource information. Yeah. So all, you know, all this took place. He only passed away last week. Your daughter wrote the obituary? Yeah. Uh, my stepdaughter is Carter's half-sister. I just want to make sure I have the right family dynamics here. So were you ever married to his father? Or are you divorced from his father? I'm, I'm divorced from his father a long time. Is his father still in the picture? No. Do you think having not just the most solid family is a, is a factor in something like this? Uh, even solid families, it happens. It happens to everybody. Right, yeah, definitely. Yes, no, there's no, it, it doesn't discriminate at all. And the sad thing is sometimes one use, you're addicted. So, you know, a college kid, a straight-A student, valedictorian, can go to a party and someone says, let's just try this, and done. And they can OD. They can have one time, they can be dead. And that's happening a lot. We had oh, some sort of bad batch of heroin came through our community last month, and there were 12 overdoses in Brattleboro and four in Londonderry in one day. And of those, I think three in Brattleboro and one or two in, in Londonderry died. And if the police aren't there with multitudes of the Narcon to bring them back, when they're doing something that's got fentanyl in it, it could take five Narcon doses to bring them back alive again. This is an unfortunate way to, this is an unfortunate catalyst, but would you say that even with this, you are all in on this cause now and will continue to do this? Or? Absolutely. I'm empowered. Absolutely. It's a mess. It's changed. It's, it's changed the dynamics of our entire population. We have not got a handle on this at all. It's going crazy. And as they crank down, which they are, on some of the doctors and what they're able to prescribe, other drugs are coming into play. Bad guys are importing or manufacturing fentanyl. It's coming in from Mexico. It's coming in from China. It's coming in from Afghanistan, I think. And they're putting it in everything. It's also in marijuana. It's also in Xanax. It's in Percocet. So it's, it's horrific. I see that you still have the celebration or memorial service mm -hmm. uh, coming up. Is this topic going to be there in any way, whether it be talking or whether it's going to be sign or flyer or something? No, not officially, no. We're just going to try to celebrate Carter's life. I will talk about how he has changed the world with the rippling effect of, like when you drop a stone in the water. His last name is Stone, and I want to say like when you drop the stone in the water and the rippling effect and how it spreads out and how we all need to hold hands as a community and help each other. We can't wait for the government to make changes. We need to do it with each other. Work together, bring awareness, join committees, and try to coordinate all these committees so that we can figure out a way that they can detox and go straight into a treatment center, then go straight into sober living. And we have psychological counseling on hand. We're educating the schools. All the different aspects have to be brought together, and it's only through community with each other that that's going to take place. So I will talk about the need to be with each other, but we're not going to talk about addiction because we will have many, many of his recovering friends at the ceremony, and they're really struggling with this.
could have been them. Oh, certainly. Yeah. So we're trying to hold them up as much as we can. Anything else, Wendy, you wanted to mention? I don't know. I hope that this yeah. gets out to, you know, this, I, this will get out to the right people. It's just that you just hope that, you know, a couple of them listen. Yeah, they got to reach out for help. And and you got to watch watch somebody, and if you suspect anything, surround them with love and find a way you can get them into a program of some sort. There's not a lot of programs, and the thing is people can't afford it, and that's another problem. So we really need our government to provide a health insurance that's going to cover these people. Some of these programs can be thousands of dollars a month. Uh, detox can be thousands of dollars a day. It doesn't give anybody a chance to do anything. So I'm fighting for some solutions. I'm trying to find it. I'll do my part, but I can't do it all. And need everybody to jump on board, find an avenue where they can help. And there are solutions out there, but we have to coordinate them. So just everybody reach out and help in some way. That's NJ1015's Dino Flamia speaking with Wendy Galbraith, mother of Carter Stone, who passed away of a heroin overdose just last month at the age of 32. This heartbreaking interview proves that the most compelling voices on the topic of New Jersey's heroin crisis, those voices don't belong to doctors or prescribers or lawmakers or cops. The most compelling voices on New Jersey's heroin crisis still belong to the mothers who have buried their children and, quite frankly, to folks who have overcome this disease. And frankly, it's a little frustrating that we don't hear those voices more. That's all for now. I'm Jay Lasseter. This has been Heroin Uncut, presented by NJ1015.com and sponsored by our friends at the Carrier Clinic. Please subscribe to the Heroin Uncut podcast at iTunes, Google Play, or at the NJ1015 app. Until next time, please let us know what you think. We're on Twitter and Facebook at Heroin Uncut, and I hope you'll head over there now and let us know what's on your mind. What is behavioral health care? Uh help with their emotional and mental health. I've heard of it, but I don't know. Carrier Clinic thinks differently about behavioral health care, applying new scientific advances to treat mental illness and addiction, replacing routine care programs with alternative treatments and new measurable levels of compassionate care, leading to better patient outcomes. For the best in behavioral health care, think Carrier. For more information, visit carrierclinic.org.